I had just walked out the door to get into my car to go to class, to go teach the class. And my phone rings and it's my wife, Ellen, and she's bawling. Um, And she said, oh my God, you know, Mac died. And I was so confused. You know, it's like, it's not something you're expecting to hear, right? And so I just stood there in a daze. Like I just didn't, like it was registering, but not registering, you know. and that's that's how I, that's how I found out, and and that was that was the moment, and you know obviously I was heartbroken. Was the rest of the day just a daze for you, basically? I imagine. Honestly, for the next month, a, a complete daze. There was a bit of a fog for a number of weeks, you know, before I could start to feel like I was having normal days, and so that's what it was like for me. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode number 61 of Connection is Magic. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning in. Today, we will get into part two of my interview with Benji Grinberg, founder of Rostrum Records. In this episode, we cover where he was when he got the tragic news that Mac Miller passed away. We get into discussing what made Mac Miller such a special and unique artist, as well as Benji opening up about his own mental health challenges and struggles and the catalyst that got him to do that. If you haven't yet done so, please consider signing up to the text community. Text the words STAY CONNECTED to area code 310-361-5562 and you'll automatically be signed up for notifications when new episodes drop as well as we're going to be doing merchandise. You'll be getting discount codes for that merchandise. We're going to be doing some like super cool hoodies and other merch, as well as events. Uh, So please sign up to get notified of all that stuff ahead of time. Without further delay, please enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to connection. You worked with one of my all-time favorite artists too, Mac Miller. Yeah. How did you first meet Mac? So we were we were recording at ID Labs, right? Mm-hmm. So Edan started a studio called ID Labs. That's where Wiz recorded. That's where we first met. That you know, um, and that's where we worked out of. That was like our hub in Pittsburgh, and it's and it was a creative hub for for all of these artists. Um, and so we were recording there all the time and there almost every day. And Mac was a high school student and, you know, was coming to ID Labs to try to record his own stuff as well. And so we just started running into each other. Mm. And was it already, he was buzzing, let's say, it, right? He was buzzing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. He was, he was buzzing um, and was really starting to do his thing. So when I first met Mac, you know, he would play me some records, you know, we would go into the side room, he'd play me what he's working on, blah, blah, blah. And I would just give him some advice, you know, or like, oh, that's really dope. Or, you know, maybe you should do this, maybe, you know, whatever. Just very arm's length, like, you know. Uh, 
It wasn't you like know? instant, in, like first meeting. This guy's great. We got a vibe. Like let's work together. Wasn't no, like, no, wasn't no. like that at all. That at all. It was. We would run into each other, mm-hmm. like, hey, can I play you a couple records? Like, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, this one's really good, blah, blah, blah. Um, very, you know, just just very informal. And then one day he, he said, you know, I made a couple records, and I think, and this is months later, and, and, I, and this is sort of the beginning of, of my next mixtape. And I was like, cool, let's listen to him. So we sat down. I remember the room we sat down in. And he played me a couple of records that were songs that would end up on kids mixtape. And these were way better, way better than what he had played me before. And that's, and that's uh, indicative of how he would continue to grow. Like Matt grew like crazy, like every month, like, you know, every you could, album was like every exponential album was, growth, right? Exponential yeah, growth. Yeah, I saw that. And so that happened early on, right? Where the first records were fine. Like they were cool, but it wasn't like anything that made me, you know, think anything at all other than like, all right, yeah, cool, man. Like, you know, uh, but when he played me those kids records, I was like, wow, like these are really good, like really, really good. And the growth was really surprising. I said to myself, <laughs> you know, Maybe you should take this relationship a little bit more seriously. From there, we just started talking more often, you know, more advice. You know, he, he saw what we were doing with, with Wiz and, you know, eventually it's just like, hey, can you get behind me like you're, like you're getting behind Wiz? You know, not making the same exact moves or anything, but like, you know, I need a team, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, he saw the, what was happening on, on the Wiz side and we ended up coming together, you know. Um, but it wasn't like, that's, like that's what cool, you're saying. That's because I assumed it was instant for some no, it reason. Wasn't it wasn't. It okay. wasn't instant. You know what I mean? Um, and so, uh, you know, it's one of those things, a, re- a relationship that developed a little bit more over time. And But it's good when that happens, I right? prefer that. Yeah, yeah. You got a foundation to work from. Yeah. yeah. What do you think made Max so unique compared to other artists, if you had to say? Because I feel like he's unique. He's totally unique. And it's incredible to me how he's, become this just legendary artist you know you start off in this little studio in Pittsburgh and we're all you know we're all from Pittsburgh and whatever again you don't know what what's going to be you know how the book is going to go you know kind of a thing um and so to see how it's ended up is just is just unbelievable um uh, in terms of his artistry, in terms of the the respect for him as a, as an artist, and how he just continued to take leaps and bounds with every project. For the first time, the fans had someone just like themselves on stage. You know, where that hadn't really been the case. Like, stars had always been, like, these people you look up to, like, that had this presence and had this, this, and were tall and, and looked beautiful and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, of course, they're a star. And and then Mac was just like his fans. Like, you would walk through a show and all these kids were the same age as him, basically. And I think they saw a lot of themselves in him, this relatability that good word for it. that people felt towards him that maybe they didn't feel towards other stars. I think that that really shifted things in culture in general, mm. um, but was is something that made him so different. He put some of his insecurities out there. He was very vulnerable in his records, especially later on. Oh yeah. He, you know, aged a bit. Swiss Beats said, the music industry is one big competition to see who could be the most honest. Because when you think about like Eminem, 
like, you know, put the vulnerabilities out there. Or you mm-hmm. think about, remember when Kanye dropped, like when it all falls down, he's mm-hmm. like, we're all self-conscious. I'm just the first to admit it. It's like right. this level of truth yeah, really yeah. resonates for people. And I think we're, it's like part of our zeitgeist today, wouldn't you say, where we've reached this almost feels like we're, we're moving towards an apex of like vulnerability in some ways. Like, do you feel like records are getting more vulnerable? Do you think artists are becoming more vulnerable? Like have some of these artists we mentioned, like Eminem, Mac Miller, maybe, you know, Kanye, is it, is it sort of, is it reaching sort of like a critical mass where you feel like we're finding more honesty in music today? Yeah. And I think that, that all the people that you named, you know, played a part in that, you know what I mean? And Mac certainly helped take it to a new level you know, in, in talking about his own problems, yeah. talking about his vulnerabilities, his insecurities to an even greater extent, you know, than just saying we all have insecurities. Like he was diving into his insecurities yes. and being very honest about them. And and I think you'll find today a lot of artists that are, are okay with showing those insecurities because of artists like Mac who who sort of raised their hand early and said like, these are all the yeah, things that I'm going on. I think that magic in him where he was so honest and relatable gave him this immense presence, mm. you know, and that became this like greatness around him. When he passed, there was an outpouring like I've never seen. Yeah. Do you agree? To For this when, day. An artist, when an artist passed. And I feel like it's because he was so real. He yeah. was showing us so much yeah. that we were connected to him in a way where we couldn't maybe connect at that level with other artists who have passed. For sure. The outpouring you saw, particularly on social media or whatever, so many artists that you you might not have even known that he they knew each other, you mm. know, but they did because Mac was so giving of himself and so many people were attracted to him in that way. When Mac tragically passed, like, do you remember where you were when you found out about that or got the phone call? Talk us through that. So I teach a class uh, every fall for Carnegie Mellon at their L.A. campus. And I had just walked out the door to get into my car to go to class, to go teach the class. And my phone rings and it's my wife, Ellen, and she's bawling. Um, And she said, oh, my God, you know, Mac died. And I was so confused, you know, it's like, it's not something you're expecting to hear. Right. And so I just stood there in a daze. Like I just didn't, like it was registering, but not registering. I called the head of the school and I said, look, I just got some really bad news and I can't, I can't come in. Um, And, uh, you know. Um, and that's, that's how I, that's how I found out. And, and that was, that was the moment. And, you know, obviously I was heartbroken. Was the rest of the day just a daze for you, basically, I imagine? Honestly, for the next month, a a complete daze, um, I would, you know, I was able to kind of, um, after a couple of days, like go through my, my regular day, if you will, but not with clarity, mm. you know, and not, you know, without emotion. Um, and so it really, it, there, you know, there was a bit of a fog for a number of weeks, bef- mm. you know, before I could start to feel like I was having normal days. And so that's what it was like for me. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. 
what was your uh yeah what was your favorite mac song out of like i know that might be a hard question but you know try and try and answer it Uh, that's hard man um there are songs in sort of each period because they really are different periods right like like kids you know um uh, where you have like a song like Man in the Hat or or Miss Calls, which are like these beautiful, you know, songs from that period. And then very quickly he went from Blue Slide Park to um to Macadelic. And it's totally different feel, right? Yeah. It's like an artist having like a blue period or like oh it's like <laughs> you know, and, and and the songs are so different, but there's there's some, you know, like thoughts from a balcony, like super dope song that I still listen to, Mm. you know, uh, and, and so each phase kind of has its own. There's a couple from, from watching movies that, that I love. Um, at some point I'm going to put together like a, a a playlist of just like my personal favorite. You should definitely do that. I support that. If only for, if only for (laughs) myself. I think other people would be curious, you know, because you guys were so close. Like it'd be, yeah, I would love to know, you know, just being that close, what particularly strikes you. Yeah. But one thing I became aware of, which I thought was pretty fascinating, was I heard Pharrell speaking about Mac. And the irony he said was when he worked with him, he was really self-conscious of his singing voice. And he like kind of encouraged him to use it more. And Mac was like, I don't know. And then like, his like last two, three albums were all like him rap yeah. singing basically, right? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, you know, I mean, Mac, Mac and Pharrell got together um, because they were they were making a project called Pink Slime. I, I remember that. Um, and and one or two songs kind of dropped on the internet a little bit, but it it uh, it didn't end up fully getting made. And and um, that was while you guys were still working together, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah that's totally while we were still working together, and. Um, uh, and so, no, I mean, it's dope that he got that advice and it's dope that someone like Pharrell could, could influence him in that way. And I'm, I know that Mac respected him, mm. you know, so much. So for someone like that to, you know, to work with you and to give you that sort of push in a direction that they feel like you could go, I'm sure is very, very important to him. And, and I mean, I guess you see the outcome of it. You guys set the record for most albums sold independently. We were first independent situation to, to go number one in a long time. And then uh, in 2013, when we released Watching Movies, that was like the super, you know, uh, uh, I, I forget what they called it, but it was the week where like Kanye was coming out, J. Cole was coming out, and Mac was coming out. Um, and so we actually were the number three album that, that week. You know, we had set the date and then we had heard Kanye was coming out. We heard J. Cole was coming out. And we had the discussion, like, should we move it? You know, like if we want to try to have a number one, like, you know, should we move the date? You know, we talked about it like we did with just about everything. And it was like, no, like, it's this kind of cool. Yeah. And, you know, like, let's just keep it and, and let's just run with it, you know? Going back to Blue Slide Park, because that was the album that, yeah. that set that record. Do you remember we, getting a call from Mac? Was Mac, like, super excited? Well, we, were together. Oh, we, were were all, together we were all together out here in Los Angeles because yeah. um, uh, he was doing shows and, and things like that. So we were together and doing all sorts of promotions. and whatever. So we were, we were running around together. So it wasn't like a call, like, hey, I, that I remember. I wish I had complete clarity of each of these moments mm. you know what i mean 10 years later right it, it it's like we were all moving so fast you know and there was so much happening 
And, you know, you go from one thing to the other. I was working obviously heavily with Mac and with Wiz at the time. Both are touring, both are, have albums and songs coming out and mixtapes coming out and all this kind of stuff. So I had, you know, 10 balls in the air that, yeah. that I was juggling. And having the number one album, I don't remember where I was sitting when I found out, which I kind of wish I'd, you know, there's yeah. some, there's some things like I can remember which side room I was in with Mac when he played me those first kids songs, right? So certain moments totally stick with me forever, all that kind of stuff. And then there's certain moments where you get asked about like, where were you when you found out you had a number one album? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I actually don't know. And I wish I had a really cool answer for you. Um, well, that probably but, is but because you're moving. Like your you're, head is down. You're going. You're going. So you're fast. going. You're going. Yeah. You, you have a tour yeah. starting this day yeah. and whatever, and yeah. and you celebrate, you know, for a second. But like you, you know, there's a lot of other things going on. You can celebrate, but you also have to have to keep it moving and 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 keep tending to all the different things you have to tend to. Yeah, totally. Know? We're kind of coming out of the pandemic. You yeah. know, feels like. What do you feel like? Do you feel like that was a positive shift for humanity on the whole? I mean, minus the, you know, the wreckage and the terribleness that it caused. That's a good question. I think it's yet to be seen, mm. right? Like it's, we're early days coming out of it. Um, you know, I'd like to think that some of the slowing down that we all had to do, right? We couldn't travel. We couldn't go, you know, we spent a lot of time at home. Um, with our families and all that kinds, like hopefully that main that we can hold on to some of that pace, if you will, and not feel like we always have to run around doing a million things. Um, but it's too early to be seen, like how it really affected everybody. What positive things are gonna are gonna last from it? Um, what sensitivities we might you know hold on to from it? Um, but I'd like to think that we learned some lessons and that, you know, um, and that some positive things can come out of it for sure. The hope is that we retain these things because, you know, human nature is to default. It's like the reason why people are trying to get in shape. You know, it's like you do the new year's thing, you get the gym membership, you're good for like a month and then right. like you fall off. I hope we don't do that with the pandemic. I'll just go on record and yeah. say that. But, no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's certain, certainly lessons to be learned and hopefully we learn them and hold and hold on to them. Um, and hopefully, you know, it, it's, it, it was such a unique experience where we really felt like one world. Right? Yes. You know, yes. it was like, no matter where you lived in the, in the world, like you were home. 100%. April April of 2020, like you were staying put. Yeah. If anything, hopefully it it makes the world feel smaller or helps to connect people from different societies or different backgrounds or whatever to say like, hey, we all are all here on this earth together. Too often, sadly, it takes human beings to experience tragedy to bond together. Mm -hmm. Think about 9-11, mm -hmm. right? We were all like united around each other. Yeah, yeah. But like outside of like, the pandemic and 9-11, people kind of, it's just, it's kind of, it feels like every man for themselves in a lot of ways. It's sad. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of things going on this year, yeah. right? Um, and so um, I think that certain things kept us together. I think there's still the ability of social media to pull us apart um, in a way, Um and, and so there's a lot of different forces going on and, and yeah, like, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, we can utilize these lessons in a, in a positive, 
way and, and yeah. these experiences we'll see like ask me again in a year you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like, you're like uh, earlier in the interview you're like the story's not written yet we're still only part way through that book you <laughs> know what i mean so like yeah you know, I'm not sure, but I'd like to think so. Well, I heard you in another podcast actually talk about, you know, you were diagnosed with OCD and, yeah. you know, coming out with that whole thing. And do you, do, is that something that did the pandemic inspire you to open up about that? That I don't know. Um, no, um, I, I had opened up about it prior to it. Um, so after I was diagnosed with OCD and, and, and kind of came to terms with everything, I decided to, to open up about it. Um, and the way that I decided to do that was to write kind of this op-ed, if you will, for Billboard. Mm. Um, I actually wrote it first and then I approached Billboard. Like, Amazing. You know, like, I, you know, I think that this is an important topic. Are you guys, you know, interested in, in putting this out? And I was inspired by my friend Evan, who um, is a musician and a writer. And way back in the early 2000s was Avril Lavigne's Wait, guitar Evan player. Wait, Evan Hobenfeld. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, good dude. Yeah. yeah. Really good dude. Yeah. And he, we're friends on Facebook. He had a he had an eating disorder, he had, which he opened up about. He had an eating disorder. Yes. And he wrote about it on Facebook. And okay. he said... I've been hiding this, you know, for a long time, um, but I'm now putting it out there that this is an issue I have and I'm, you know, I'm working on it. And, and I was like, holy fuck, that's so brave. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so amazing that he did that. And so when, when I was going through what I was going through, I felt inspired by that to do the same thing, hmm. right? And put it out there because I'd been trying to hide my anxieties for so long um, and I was, I was through with that, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I didn't, and I felt like if I'm here hiding my anxieties from the world, if you will, or making it seem like everything's okay when it really wasn't, mm. how many other people are doing that? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, totally. and in particular in entertainment or music, or whatever, everyone is sort of like, you know, it's a, a lot of facade, going a lot on. of facade, yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah, everything's great. How are you? And I have this, I have this big album and I have this, that, and the other, and it's like, people just leave it at that, yeah. you know, but it's like, yeah. no, how are you doing? Exactly. You know, because at the height of, of some of our successes, that's when the anxiety was the worst. Is that right? Yeah. That's when I felt the most awful. And so was the uh, feeling going into that a little bit more? Was it like I could lose this all? Was there fear? Is it a little fear behind it or it was change? That's a good question is like what, you know, what is it about, about that? Yeah, what got think, triggered there? Yeah. I, I think for the most part, it, it's change. It's a higher profile. It's, you know, maybe a feeling of more responsibility. Um, yeah. and so, you know, um, but I have to dive deeper into that. That's a, that's a really good mm. question. But, um, uh, um, but to me, um, I'm trying to get back on track. Uh, you know, um, I, I felt the need to share it because it, it almost gave me additional purpose, right? Uh, it made it feel like I was actually doing something about it 
that I was taking control of the situation from my own standpoint, right? Where I'm not hiding anymore. This is, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And to make other people feel less alone about it. It's very much like coming out, you know, look, I, I, I've never come out as homosexual or something like that, but I have to imagine it's something similar, right? As you were sharing that, I'm getting that whole experience being similar, right? Where it's like, you feel a certain way, you hide it, this, that, and the other. And then at some point you come out, right? And so this was me coming out about my anxieties and about all the things that I've been feeling and, and, and wanting to say it so that we can normalize it so that I don't have to feel weird that I have these anxieties and that I don't want other people to feel weird if they're feeling that or feel abnormal or whatever. Because to me, you know, it's, it's a lot more prevalent than we think and we should talk about it. And by talking about it and normalizing it, we can feel better about it. Yes. And in the general, I think that's true. There's a lot of people that are hiding, you know, uh, hiding these insecurities back and, and, and all that. But in the music business, I feel like it's like it's like in a hyper way, you know, because the yeah. music the music industry really is OK. Like, you know, I was thinking about this earlier and it's like it, it, it could be a pretty unforgiving business. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it really like you can have a hit three years ago or two years ago and like you're irrelevant today. It's insane. Yeah. So yeah. Well, like, just, it goes back to your question about after I left Arista and, and it's like, you know, where all these doors open for me. It's actually quite the opposite. Right. Because. Um, I was no longer L.A. Reid's assistant. Right. So what do you need for, you know, like, what can, like, what can I help you with anymore? So like, so the calls stop re- getting returned. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Fadji, I'm so happy you shared that, dude. <laughs> I had a friend at Live Nation who was in a meeting with uh, the then CEO of Live Nation. Uh-huh. And he heard him say, I know that if I lose this job, 70% of the people I think are my friends will not get back to me. Right. It was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And he was okay with that. It's the truth it's, in our business. You know what I mean? That, isn't like, that kind of sad though? No, it's super sad. When I got the job with LA, you know... I made a conscious decision to just to be very cool with everybody because sometimes when you get into a position of like a little bit of power Mm -hmm. like that, right? Like I wasn't LA, but like I was the person you had to talk to, to get, to get to LA a little bit. So you had had a little bit of a gatekeeperness to you just like in your own little world there. Absolutely. And you can either take that and be an asshole and shrug people off and this, that, and the other, or you can be really kind about it. And I made the the conscious decision to be really kind about it and, and, and to be nice to everybody. And so I think that after leaving Arista, that helped me, mm, you know, was yeah. like, oh yeah, Benji was always cool to me that the phone call may be returned, you know, and or whatever. And still, still may. <laughs> still. Right. I think an, an ounce of, of sincerity and honesty and all of that kind of stuff is, was what we needed. And I, I felt like I had the ability to, to at least vocalize you know, or put into words how I was feeling. And I needed to use that to, to sort of translate how I was feeling to, to hopefully, like I said, normalize it or make other people feel more comfortable about it. And you, you wouldn't believe the outpouring of not just support, but like thank yous I got from people that I knew and from people that I didn't know wow. emailing me like I just read your article in Billboard. Thank you so much. And and then opening like people I've never even met or people that I did I have Shared known something secret to them would then share in their emails like you know I've been dealing with this for for this many Whoa. years or whatever and like I feeling that openness 
it's one of the best things I've ever done. That's beautiful. Humanity, right? It's like allowing ourselves to be human. Yeah. Which for some reason is not allowed. Right. It's bizarre. Right. I had somebody come on who's a brilliant artist and he was like, you know, we're treating our, you know, humans and our brains like we're like computers. We can just hack it and make it go fat. Like, he's like, really, we're more like flowers and we're all blooming in in different times and different. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, It's like how many productivity (laughs) hacks can we have? You know what I mean? And is that what, and is that really what we're built to, to be, to do and, and be here for? Where do you think the OCD might come from? Because I have some... I've had some OCD tendencies and I'm like, it's, is it because I feel like when my external world feels like out of my control, is it a way for me to soothe myself almost? Like I've got, got control over arranging things a certain way, which is typical with OCD. Yeah. yeah. I think that can be part of it, mm-hmm. you know, for sure is, is, is wanting to feel some sort of control. Um, it's also wanting to feel control over your own thoughts you know, and that's, more to that. that, that's literally where, you know, like obsessed OCD is obsessive compulsive. So you obsess over something mm-hmm. and then you have a compulsion to do something to try to fix it or control it or whatever. And so that's why you see people um, sometimes with OCD, they wash their hands a yes. lot or they repeat things a lot or whatever. It's because they didn't like how how it felt the first time Mm. or that there was a a thought associated with it that they didn't like. So they have to do it again to try to erase it. It's self-soothing in a way, isn't it? I mean, it's maladaptive, I feel like, right? Because it it hurts you. Well, you have to learn. Yeah. You have to learn how to not obsess over something by, and, and do it without doing some sort of compulsion. Yes. You know what I mean? And so if you have a negative thought that you didn't like or whatever, you just have to say, that was just a thought, like it's it's not reality and does no effect on anything and and let it go. And that's a lot easier said than done for someone that has OCD or has anxieties because you hold on to something or that's where the O comes from. You obsess about it and you really have to learn how to, how to not do that and how, and how to not let it, you know, disrupt your life. You it know? can really be paralyzing it for a lot of people. Paralyzing, yeah. you know, um, and so you, you know, you have to work at it. You know, and 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 it and it's okay, and and you can get past it. But you know, you have to put in the work, right? For, you have to talk to people. You know, you talk to a therapist if you want. You know, if you want to take medication, um, understand it, read about it. You know, sort of face it head on, right? Because yeah. it, if you sort of try to push it away without actually doing the work to deal with it, I don't think you're going to have the long-term results that you want. You know, it, uh, it'll likely continue to come and back. And left unchecked, can it get worse? Is it, could, it, could it be a progressive thing? I, I'm not an expert. Yeah. You know, I'm, I only know my own experience. Yeah. So I, I can't, I can't I'm say I'm saying in your exactly. experience, did you find it getting a little worse when you left it unchecked? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if it was that or if it was you know, certain life pressures that would exacerbate mm, it yeah, or, or what would create the ebb and flow of, of like going into bad phases and not bad phases. The labeling of it was really important. It wasn't until my psychiatrist said, you have OCD, that it like all made sense all of a sudden. And while it may be devastating for someone to hear like a diagnosis, like you have this, for me, it was a weight lifted off Liberating my because you knew, yeah. so you could do something about it yeah. now. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a name for exactly how I'm Otherwise feeling. Otherwise you're fighting an invisible opponent. Exactly. Cause you don't yeah. know what you're fighting against. Yeah. And, it's all, and, and anxiety is tough, man. Like anxiety 
is a shape shifter. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and what may cause you anxiety, you know, today is different from tomorrow and it may look different. So to have a name for it and to say like, you know, there are ways to, to go about combating it and there's medication you can take if you want. And th- these, it's just like, Okay, like I'm down. Like, yeah. let's figure this shit out. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah, like now we can go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, going through all of the hard changes that happened in the music business and and just in life in general. Just yeah. grow, you know, growing up and and dealing with different things and losses and 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 changes in relationships and you know things not going how you want them and things going very much how you want them to go. All of those things, whether they're positive or negative, are still all changes that you have to sort of adapt to, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I first started coming into some money, you would think like, oh, it's, ma- it's an amazing positive thing that must have only been great feelings, right? Yes. But it's not. And it can be scary mm-hmm. um, because you're used to not having money, hmm. you know? And so it's we- it's different and it's weird. And um, don't tell and- me it's like Biggie said. Is it more money, more problems? <laughs> <laughs> no way, you know, in a way, at least at least in the short term, right? Yeah. Like you're you're adjusting to it, you know. And um, and so dealing mental health wise with all of these things um, for me, cause it's not the same for everybody. Some people go through some of these things. It doesn't affect them yeah. and they're just built differently. We all have different makeups. For me, it was dealing with all these things, which were very hard and very, and felt very personal. Um, and dealing with the mental health aspect of those things mm. has been in my career, you know, the biggest challenge. It almost feels like there was a bruise there that you didn't know you had that got pushed on through some of these experiences, right? For sure. Going through these experiences exacerbated and and really, you know, uh, the OCD really reared its head from, from doing, you know, from all of, all of those things happening. And what I can say is important is what I was saying before, which is, is first of all, sharing it with your loved ones. So you don't feel alone in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, whoever that is, it doesn't have to be family. It can be your friends. I don't or even, whatever. I, there's somebody listening right now to this. That's probably getting benefit. That's maybe holding on to something. Yeah, so I hope so. Yeah. You know. Sharing it and like getting it off your own chest, Yeah, you know, I think is really important. And to have people, you know, it's almost like, you know, in AA, you know, which I haven't personally experienced, but you know, from, from understanding it, it's like you have a sponsor, right? You have mm-hmm. people that you talk to in a meeting and say, look, you know, um, and so to me, it's, it's somewhat similar, which is like sharing, you know, what you're going through and having people on your team, mm-hmm. you know, not just your therapist, but you know, your girlfriend or your parent it or takes your a friend, village, man. Yeah. yeah, so that they can check in on you. And so you don't, and so you know that other people know what you're going through because mm. that's one of the biggest challenges is like when you hold on to it and you don't share it, it makes you feel very, very alone. Yes. Um, it's so isolating, right? So isolating because no one knows how you feel. Yeah. And and you want other people to know and, how you feel because and, they can help you. And it festers too. That's an important point. 100%. Like. And I've learned a lot of lessons through it. I know myself better now Yeah. Um, through all of these experiences. And I feel like I can be a better friend. That's beautiful. I feel like I can be a better parent, a better husband you know, a better son, a brother, you know, all these things. I feel like I can just be, you know, uh, I'm a more sensitive person um, uh, and and that I can offer more um, 
in helping other people because I've gone through some shit. Because you're battle tested and you've, you yeah. know, yeah, and you've put yourself out there. Yeah. And, and as you're saying that, I'm like, you've had, you know, a lot of great success in your music career. And I'm like, you know, that compared to the response you got from the Billboard article of like putting out the mental health topic and the OCD, I mean, it, ri- it probably rivals the feeling of oh, like yeah. breaking through with an artist in a, in a big way. Right. Oh you know? yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's totally different in, in, in a way. Um, but in terms of if I was like, you know, ranking things that I've done, I would, I would put that article first. Look, the music that we put out helps people, but a song that we might put out that doesn't go number one might still help a lot of people. That's very true. You it's know, true. and so putting out music in general is a, is an amazing thing that I feel very proud about, you know, being a part of. Yeah. Right. But to put a competition, right? Like, oh, we were the number one album, Yeah. you know, um, above sharing something that may help people directly, you know, in their mental health battles. They're both great feelings, I'm sure, but like one feels like it's more for the spirit and one feels like it could be a little more ego too, a little bit. I mean, it feels good to say, hey, we got a number one album. Yes, it's a great feeling, like the hard work. It's not like you didn't earn the number one. Everybody worked their ass off for it, but it's an accolade. Yeah. It's an accolade, right? Yeah. This is That's what I'm saying. You know, they're, they're, a spirit they're very thing. different achievements. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, if I were to rank them, you know, because it helped me, mm-hmm. but it helped other people and hopefully it was just another step along the way for everyone being sort of more sensitive about that thing. And I have to say that that has to be a bigger achievement than you know, who sells the most in, that, in a week. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I had to rank them, that, that's what yeah. it would be. But, you know, um, but certainly part of what I'm here to do in the music business is to fight for our artists that we work with and to do as great of a job as possible. So having that number one album is is certainly something I'm proud of to say, look, we held hands together and with a very small team, very much independently, you know, had a number one album and you got to feel good about then, that. And that's yeah. a great feeling, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well said. Well, thank yeah. you for coming in today, man. For sure. This Thanks is for a great convo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, where can people um, find you? Um, so I'm just at Benji Benji. So it's B-E-N-J-Y twice on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Can they find your old, like, uh, DJ mixes and stuff like that? No, I didn't, they know, can't. You, I didn't know you did that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, no, that was pre, Will there be, like, a yeah, Rostrum 2022? Social, no, that's pre-social media, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, but yeah. But I have gotten in back into writing and producing a lot more. Amazing. So, yeah, Are you going to so release it? Um, yeah. So, you know, I started to release some uh, some instrumentals under the name Dimetrodon, um, which I I have never even said out loud before. And I I, I literally just like made them. Um, it's like my finding out Brandon. about Kevin Durant's burner account. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Twitter> and, <laughs> and put them up. But like, you know, but ideally like producing for other people and, oh, and, and doing things like that will, will be in the cards and in, in the future. It's something that like I got away from for a while yeah. in, in Ryan Rostrum, but that... Um, you know, through the pandemic is one of the things where I sort of put more priority back into. So I'm Amazing. excited about that. Yeah. Can't wait to hear the records. I'm yeah, sure yeah. We'll, maybe we'll queue up a link for the listeners hey. if you're cool sharing it. It'll go from <laughs> two monthly listeners to three. That'd be dope. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so funny. 
All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. And thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next episode. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. The world is in such great need right now, and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.